stand to our feet if you would. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. As you do that, our kids are dismissed to their core kids' classes. Jesus is our life. It's all about him. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. The book of Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 3. When you got it, say so. Nobody has it. All right. That was the quietest moment. Colossians chapter 3. Just so you know, you should mark your Bible there for the next few weeks because that's where we're going every week, okay? Make it a little bit easier. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. When you got it, say so. There we go. We give thanks to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow brother, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Lord God, thank you this morning for your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. And God, thank you so much for allowing us the privilege to come together this morning to worship your name and to be able to hear your word proclaimed. I pray today that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church. I pray that you would help us, God, to grasp the truth of your word on a greater level and that we would not just hear your word this morning, but that we would be doers of it. Let us respond in faith, Lord God. We pray all of these things in the good name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. I want to make sure that you have an outline so you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Uh, you can also take notes. That's really important because I don't believe that you or I are going to be able to remember every single thing that is said. And so I think notes are important. Also, as always, a reminder, you are a disciple of Jesus. If you have put your faith in Christ, you are his disciple. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. And so one of the ways that you help someone grow in their faith as you make disciples is by walking through the scriptures with them. And so if you will take this outline and write notes, you can sit down with someone, you can sit down with a neighbor, you can sit down with a coworker, you can sit down with a family member, a friend, whoever, and you can go ahead and you can walk them through what you are learning in the book of Colossians, which will help them grow in their faith, but also it will help you grow in your faith as well. And so we want to continue in our series is our second week in the book of Colossians. We'll be here for a few weeks. Um, there's a lot of good, good stuff here in the book of Colossians. And this morning, I want to talk about the thought, thankful for. So what is it that you are thankful for? Look at that. Think about that for a moment. What are you thankful for? The Apostle Paul, he starts this portion out. Look at verse 3. It says, we give thanks 
to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there was a thankfulness that was in his heart for something specific. And so for you, I ask you this question, what are you thankful for? Are you thankful for what God is doing in the lives of others? Because remember, Paul did not establish this church. This was a church that he heard about, that he had been told about, and he was thankful for their faith. He was thankful for what was going on. If you continue on in that first portion there, the greatest miracle of all is that of salvation. How many would say amen to that? When you think about miracles, I mean, miracles are, are amazing. You know, water splitting. When you think about that, the, the, the rains that came down when God flooded the earth, the miracle of the resurrection. I mean, there's, there's amazing miracles. But the greatest miracle of all is to see someone come to saving faith in Jesus. When you think about this, it is to see the grace of God working in the life of a person who was dead in their trespasses and sins, to see them receive new life by responding to the gospel and then to bear fruit of this new life is one of the most overwhelming joys we can experience. To see someone who was dead in their trespasses, someone who was rebellious toward God, someone who didn't walk with Jesus, to see them come across that line of faith, there's no greater joy than to hear about that. To hear someone's story, to hear someone's testimony of how God delivered them, I mean, that is an amazing truth and an amazing reality. I had the, the privilege uh, last weekend, we did baptism, and so we were, uh, you know, uh, uh, initiating people really into the family of God, right, through the external proclamation of their faith in Jesus. And so I had the great privilege of baptizing my youngest sister. And, you know, someone asked me on Monday, hey, how was your weekend? I said, it was great, man. I got to do something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, baptize the youngest of six. And, and, and to see my sister do that was awesome. But you know what's really cool for me? We were talking on the phone, and I, you know, I've talked to my sister. I mean, she's like, I call her my baby sister, but she's got to be like 30. I don't even know how old she is. But anyway, she's, she's you know, she's pretty, you know, she's, she's not a baby, right? And when, I, when I, I'm talking on the phone and she's telling me a story about something and she tells me, she's like, you know, I just had to pause and praise God. I was like, who am I talking to right now? Uh, my little sister don't talk like that, right? I look on her, on her Facebook, you know, on, on her Facebook and her Instagram, and I see her posting pictures of like John 3.16. I'm like, man, glory to God. God has done something because my sister, you know, some people, you know how it is. You have those people in your life, they talk about God, but you know that they don't know God, right? They're like, oh, praise God, but they ain't, you know, anyway, you know what I'm saying. But to see, you know, someone's life changed or to hear about something that God is doing when you look at them. And so when you look at that, I mean, that is something that we should be thankful for, right? Looking at what God is doing in the lives of others. I want you to get this second paragraph. God has called all of us to be part of this disciple-making experience. Do you get that? He wants us to be part of this disciple-making experience. He commanded us to go and make disciples. He wants us to experience this. He, and when we are given to the mission that God has called us into, we will be more aware and more thankful to God when we see his mighty work in the lives of others. When we're given to his mission, we're more aware of what God is doing. We're, more, we're, we're paying attention to what it is that God is doing in the lives of people, what he's doing in the lives of those who don't know him, and even in the lives of those who come into faith with, with, with Christ, who come to faith in him. And we become thankful for that because what? Because that's my mission. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I am doing something and I see that something accomplished, that creates a certain joy in my heart. Is that not true for you? 
When you're, when you're trying to do something, when, when you have a goal in front of you, when there's a mission ahead of you, and when you see that these are the things that should be occurring, when it actually comes to fruition, it creates joy in you. And can I tell you something? We are part of a mission that is global. We are part of a mission that is beyond us. We are part of a mission that, you know what? You can rejoice when you see what's happening in the lives of other people. You should rejoice. That should cause great joy inside of our hearts. The Apostle Paul, last paragraph here, was thankful for the rooted faith of the Colossians. He was thankful for the rooted faith of the Colossians. Their faith was rooted in the life-giving, unchanging, spirit-empowered gospel. And here's the deal. We must be thankful for those whose faith is such and strive to ensure that our faith is rooted as well. Did you get that? We must be thankful when we see someone's faith that is rooted, when we see someone's faith that is growing. We must be thankful for them and look at them, but we can also see them and say, you know what, I want to make sure that my faith is rooted as well. I want to make sure that my faith is rooted the same way as theirs. I want to make sure my faith is rooted. You know what's one of the most, most beautiful things for me? Whenever I see someone that comes new to the faith, man, when you come new to the faith, you're excited about Jesus. When you come new to the faith, man, you want to tell everybody about Christ. You, you're, you don't care who it offends. You're not really worried about all that. You're just so excited about God. And you know what happens a lot of times for some folks that are older in the faith? We ain't like that anymore. We're not so excited, you know. We're, we're worried about offending. We want to make sure we say everything perfectly. There's so many different things that go on in our minds. And listen, the reality is we should use wisdom in areas. But listen, don't let your pursuit of wisdom and perfection shut you up about Jesus. Don't let it silence you. Just because you don't have all the answers, you know what? You do know the most important answer, and it's Jesus. That's the one that matters. You may not understand everything, but you understand the one or you know the one who saved you, delivered you, brought you out of darkness into a relationship with him. You know the one that turned you around from the direction you were going and brought you into a new direction. You know the one who is doing something deep in your life. And listen, the reality is when you see these newer people coming to faith, they're all about it. They're communicating. And you know what? Their environment is usually different. You know why? Because when God pulls someone out of the darkness, you know what they were surrounded with people who don't know Jesus. They're surrounded with people that don't walk with God. And so for us, you know, we're Christians. You know what happens? If you go and you look at, you know, whatever social media platform you utilize, if you go, just go down that list of people and look and see how many people on that list are Christian. Look and see how many of those people believe like you. How many of those people think like you? Well, when someone comes out of darkness, it's not like that. That list is a lot less of the people that believe like them. That list is a lot less of the people that are there the same way that they are. And so the reality is we must ensure that our faith is that way. So here is the big idea that I have for you this morning. Being thankful for our salvation should result in us sharing our faith with others. Being thankful for our salvation should result in us sharing our faith with others. Think about that. When you are thankful for something, when you're grateful for something, what do you want? I mean, you want to share that, don't you? You want to share that truth. And so what should happen is that we should desire because we're thankful one of the things that I'm, that, that I'm always thinking about whenever it comes to preaching God's word, you know, guilt, they say, is the gift that keeps on giving, right? You, you know, 
I don't, I don't, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a preacher, right? And it's like, we always, you know, we joke once in a while, and it's like when you go to, you know, seminary, you take a class called Guilt 101. So, you know, that, that's how you motivate people, right? As a, as a preacher, you motivate them through guilt. You motivate them, make them feel bad about stuff, and they're like, oh, man, I got to do this. But you know what the reality is? The reality, first of all, that's not true. But here's the thing, right? So don't, you're like, did that really happen? No, that doesn't happen, Right? But, but, but the, the, the thing that occurs is that we, we, you know, we feel bad about something and, and then we're moved to action because we feel guilty, because we feel bad about it. But can I tell you something? I want you to know this. Guilt is one of the worst motivators. You know why? Because it only lasts so long. When guilt is the only motivation you have, the things you start to do because you feel guilty, either A, you stop feeling guilty about it and you're no longer motivated to do it, or B, you just get tired of feeling bad about it and you're like, man, forget it. I'm just going to continue to do it. Hello. Right? And so this is what happens to us. But can I tell you what the motivation has to be for us serving Jesus and what I try to do and everything that I proclaim from this pulpit is I try to make sure that I point you to Christ, that where your motivation is not guilt, it's what Jesus did. Your motivation is not because you feel bad. You know, when we talk about making disciples, I don't want, I don't want to guilt you into going out there and, and, and discipling someone. I want to hopefully point such a glorious uh, or, point, or paint such a glorious picture of the gospel and what Jesus has done on a weekly basis that you are motivated to go out there and make disciples because of what? Because you are grateful that Jesus delivered you. You are grateful because Jesus saved you. And because you are thankful, Man, you just want to give glory and honor to God, and you know the best way to honor God is by what? Obeying his word. The best way to honor God is doing what he says. So I don't want you to be motivated by guilt. I want you to be motivated by thankfulness. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the fruit of grace is faith in Christ and love for the saints. The fruit of grace, or I was going to say the fruit of the gospel, is faith in Christ and love for the saints. What do we see here? We see in verses 3 through 4, let's read it together. Or It says here, it says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all of the saints. And so the first thing that we see here is the apostle is what? He is thankful. He is thankful for their faith. He's thankful for their faith. And he hear, and he heard about two things, their faith in Christ, but their love for the saints. Those two things are working hand in hand. See, the grace of God is expressed where? In the gospel. In the gospel, the grace of God is expressed, right? In the gospel. And I'll talk about the gospel in my next point more clearly, but I want you to get that. In the gospel, the grace of God is expressed. And what happens is through the preaching of the gospel, is where we come to faith in Christ. You don't just come to faith in Christ all on your own. There's specific revelation, right? God comes to you through the gospel. And then what happens? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says what? It says, faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. And so when we share the word of God, not our opinions, hello, 
Not our feelings, not our emotions, not, 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 not that. We can share the word of God in emotion, amen? I do that every week, every time I talk about Jesus, I get emotional. That's the way that it is, right? Because I love him, I'm grateful for him, that's who I am. I hope you'll be the same way. Not you gotta be like me, but that you share from the depth of your heart and what Jesus has done for you. Because, you know, people can tell when you're just talking or when it's coming from here, right? They can tell, right? And so the reality is when we proclaim the word of God, when we proclaim the truth of God, that is where faith begins to happen. And so again, what we see is what? The fruit of grace is faith in Christ Jesus. The grace of God comes to us as the word of God is preached to us. And all of a sudden this faith arises. But here's the thing. That faith gives you a vertical devotion to Jesus. That faith gives you a vertical devotion because you come to faith in Christ. You come to faith in him. And so what's the result? The result of that preaching is faith in Jesus, vertical devotion. But what should be the result of that faith? Love for others. Horizontal devotion. Remember the Ten Commandments? Remember when we talked about the Ten Commandments? Remember the first four commandments? The first four commandments were what? They were vertical, right? They were about you and God. They were about your devotion to God. And then what does God do? The next six, he points you to do what? Don't just love me and declare your love for me. Show that you love me by loving others. Show that you love me by not stealing. Show that you love me by honoring your parents. Show that you love me by not murdering. Show that you love me by not coveting. Show that you love me by not committing adultery. Show your love toward me by the way that you love others. That's what he said. And so what happens is when we come to faith in Jesus as a result of God's word, what should result is love for others. And here's what I want to say to us as as believers in this place. For some of you have been Christians for a little while, and some of you are, are, are dealing with a cynicism within your hearts because so many things have happened, right? So many things have occurred. You know, I was, I was just reading a friend of mine on, on Facebook, and he's, and he's not really, a, he's a friend on Facebook. He came here a few years back, and he ministered in one of our, in one of our um, youth events powerful young man and as, as he you know he ministered in hip-hop and things like that and I and and he he's posted a couple of struggles that he's had on Facebook but he posted something there and he was he was communicating about his hurt and how he is walking away from the church at this time and it's all rooted in something and it's because he's hurt by the church He's hurt by the church. And can I tell you something? Here's what we have to realize. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about people. Are we not? Right. Right? We are the church. We as the church, guess what we are? We are imperfect. Hello, somebody. Right? So you know what that means? That means that we are going to hurt one another once in a while. Are you here? Amen. We're going to disappoint one another. We may say things that hurt each other. We may do things that hurt each other. We may not do things that hurt each other. You know, like no one called me. No one reached out to me. You know, things like that happen, right? Or someone says something or does something that hurts you. And so here's the thing. Not just that. That's like on a local level. But here's what happens too. Then you have things that are on a grander scale. You have things that are in our culture. Things that are on the media that are being blasted about the church. Things that are untrue or half-truths or things that are twisted. Are you here? Y'all know that the media don't always tell the truth, do you not? You know that, right? You know, you know that everything that you hear, you know, everybody thinks like, well, I Googled it. It doesn't, listen, just, just because you Google, just because it's in Wikipedia does not mean, hello, somebody, right? 
I see so many people quoting like, and I'm like, well, wait a second, but where did you get this information from, right? Like, where, 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 where are you getting educated, right? And so sometimes, well, I Googled that. I saw, well, I saw it on the news. It has to be true. Hello. It's not, not, not a reality. You have to do some research and you have to look into things to find out the truth. But here's what I want to tell you is that we must fight against the cynicism that seeks to quench our love and devotion to one another. Are you here? Because our love for one another is missional. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples because of your love one for another. Did he not say that? And so if we are not loving each other because of cynicism, because of hurt, because of things that are going on inside of us, and you know what happens? We quench the missional side of our relationship. And then what happens is we're divided, and then we're divided. And guess what Jesus' prayer was? Jesus' prayer was, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one, so the world may know what? That you sent me. So you want to know that one of the key factors to us being effective evangelistically, to be effective in making disciples, it's our love one for another. And listen, I want you to know love is not bound up in a, in a minute and 30 second greeting. Hello, somebody. It's not, if it is, that's, that's, prob, that, that's, a, that's a problem, right? If that's the only place that you show love to brothers and sisters, listen, we have sign-ups today for Connect. I hope that you are going to bombard Pastor Chad, and that way you can get connected with brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, if the only time that you see my face is on Sunday morning, there's a problem. Well, me, you know, maybe just me, but I'm talking about everybody. If the only time we see each other is Sunday morning, there is an issue. We are supposed to connect as a body. We're supposed to be in each other's lives. We're supposed to love and care for one another. But we have to be committed to that portion of our, of our mission that we com communicate every week of growing together in love. The enemy wants to do, he wants to divide us, he wants to keep us separated, and that way we're not loving the way that we're supposed to. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this say, the source of our faith, of our faith must be the gospel. The source of our faith must be the gospel. It must be the gospel. Look at what Paul says in verse 5. He says, Because, say because. Now, what did he just say? He said he gives thanks to God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And, and you can also, when you look at that, it, he, he was actually saying we give thanks always to God for you, praying for you since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your love. And then he says why love and faith exist. He says because. He's pointing out why this faith exists, why this love exists. It's because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Now, the first thing that I want to say before I get into this next point is that when you read this prayer in the Greek, this is like one long sentence, right? 
It would be in English what we would call a run-on sentence, right? I, I've, I've concluded that I'm, I'm really supposed to be a writer in Greek because I love run-on sentences, right? they like sentences that never end, right? And so when you look at Paul, like if you look at this, there's like all kinds of commas and comma and comma, and he never like stops. And it's just, it's this expression. It's like this moment of expression that is so overwhelmed with feeling and emotion. And so this is what Paul is communicating. And so he's letting them know the reason, the reason why they have this hope the, or, or the reason why they have this faith and they have this love is because of this thing that is called hope. The source of, the, of, 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 of motivation for the faith and love of the Colossians had, that they had was brought by the message of the gospel. What is, what, what, what is it that the gospel promises us? The gospel promises us in its totality. It promises in the greatest level. It promises us a future. Now, a lot of us, we don't think about heaven, especially if you're younger in this room, like you don't think about heaven often. Like you're not thinking about, I could die tomorrow. Like that doesn't happen. But can I tell you something? This is just a reality. We don't, we don't know when we could die. We don't know when we're going to die. That's, that, that's just the truth. There's some people that make it, you know, way old, right? Like, you know, some people get there. There's other people they never did, right? It's a reality. We don't know when we're going to die. So eternity should be a thing that we think about. Because there are two places that people spend eternity. There's not three, right? There's two. There is one. There is heaven with God that you spend. And it's not just good people, great people. It is saved people that spend eternity in heaven with God, right? That, that's where I want everyone that I know and love and everyone sitting in this room to go. Spend eternity. That's a long time, right? I'm just saying, like, no beginning, no end. It's just forever. But then there's another place, and that place is hell. It's a place of suffering. It's a place where there is nothing good there. It is a place of torment. That is a place where one of those two places is where people will spend eternity. And so no matter how young or how old you are, you should be thinking about eternity and realize that the only reason why people spend eternity in hell is because they reject God's offer of Christ. They reject God's offer of salvation. They reject the reality that we are all born into sin. They reject the reality that no matter how good we try to be, we are never good enough. And God doesn't say, hey, you're good enough. You made it. You hit the checklist enough. If you read the book of Romans, you'll find what? That the whole point of Romans, as he's talking there, is that we are saved by faith. We are saved because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, where no one is good enough to keep the law. That's what he's talking about there he's letting us know this but we reject that idea we reject that thought and we think oh I can be good enough or I'm not that bad listen we are all that bad hello and so what what does the gospel do it offers us hope the Colossians they were without hope they had these false gods that weren't giving them any promise of eternal life but they had this hope that was there something that he says what he said a hope that is stored up for them in heaven a hope that is stored up, a hope that is not in this realm here, a hope that is beyond this place. I like what one writer said, in Christian hope, I am more certain about my ultimate future than I am about my complicated present. In the Christian hope, I am more secure about my ultimate future than I am about my complicated present. You know what? Man, sometimes you don't even know. We were praying this morning about a woman by the name of Anna. She's a Christian woman. She's a believer, loves Jesus. She goes, she had a stomach, something, you know, was going on. She goes to the doctor. They do some x-rays and stuff like that. You know what she found out? She's got stage four cancer. 
Listen, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just letting you know. She didn't expect that. She didn't, I mean, th- she's going through therapy and stuff, but her hope is where? Her hope is in the king. See, that's what the gospel is about. It is about a king who created us with a purpose. It is about a king who created us good and righteous. It is about a king who has been good. And you know what we decided to do? We decided to reject that king. That's what our father Adam and our mother Eve did. They rejected that king's reign and rule. And because of that, we all suffer the consequences. We see those consequences in the world in which we live. This rejection, but the beauty of the gospel is what? Is that God doesn't leave us without hope. He gives us hope, and that hope is what? That hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, that's the reason why we go make disciples, because hell is a reality. We were just talking in our connect. We, were, we, we, we wrapped up our, our breakfast yesterday, and as we were in there and we were dealing with the, with the last chapter in the book that we were going through, Multiply, as we're going through that, we're looking at the book of Revelation. And if you ever want a real picture of who God is, like look at the book of Revelation. Like get a real picture that the God of the Old Testament is still the same God of the New Testament. Look at Jesus there. Jesus is not meek and mild. Hello, somebody. Right? We, 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 we concluded that when Jesus came his first time, he subjected himself, right? He came, he subjected himself to the flesh. He subjected himself to torment. He subjected himself to death. He subjected himself to ridicule. When he comes back, guess what? He's subjecting everyone. He's not coming subject to anyone. That's what the king is coming to do. He's coming to reign. He's coming to rule. And you want to know what? The truth is when you read Revelation, you find what it means to be God's enemy. God's enemies will meet him. And it's not going to be a fun meeting. It's not going to be a joyful moment. And we as Christians have to recognize we have the answer. We have what they need in the gospel. And the beauty of this is is that the people in Colossae, they heard the message of the gospel. They responded in faith and they had this hope that was within them. I was reading this book. It's called Necessary Ending. And the, the reason why I read the book is because I was having some relational issues with some people. And one of my mentors said, hey, man, I really encourage you to read this book. And in this book, one of the points that he makes there in this book is he says, when you have hope, when you have hope for a person or a situation, you will not let them go. Are you here? When you hope, and it's talking about like in a business setting, you know, in relational settings, right? When you have hope that someone's going to, if you have an employee that is there and that person is, is you know, you, you're hopeful that they're going to change. You're hopeful that they're going to get it. You know what you do? You counsel them. You give them advice. You, you give them coaching. You give them direction. And you're hopeful. You're like, man, this person is going to change. And you continue. Even though they don't change, even though they don't listen, even though you have meeting after meeting, session after session, they never change. They continue to go back. They continue to have the same excuses and you know what happens until hope dies in you you'll continue to work with that person are you here there's some there's some endings that just need to happen I'm just saying like that's just a reality like we especially for us Christians because we're so nice we love so much, right? We don't want we, we to tell anyone no. We want to tell everyone yes. We never want to say, hey, man, this is not working out. Like, all of that stuff is within. Like, you know, I, I, I know this much. For me, that's how it is, right? Like, it's a, like I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But here's the truth. The truth is some people just need to be told, hey, man, this ain't working out. I love you, though. As a matter of fact, I love you so much, that's why I'm telling you this. Because I don't want to continue to hurt you, and if I continue to work with you, I'm going to hurt you. I'm, no, I'm, I'm joking. You might say something like that. I don't know. But nonetheless, the point is, right, that wasn't very Christian, but all, all, that, all, all that said is that when you have hope, my point is, the point in the book is that when you have hope, man, you work hard. When you have hope, you're devoted. When you have hope, you're committed. And here's the thing. When we have the hope of heaven, we're committed. 
When we have hope of heaven, we are committed to Christ. We're following him. We're serving him. We are obeying him. And so what does the gospel do? We know what the gospel is because I just talked about that. We know what the gospel produces is this hope that is more secure, that you may not know what's going to happen in situations here, but you know what? You do know what's going to happen in that situation there. You're looking forward to that hope. That's the reason why Romans chapter 8 tells us that the sufferings of this world, the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. See, that is a beautiful thing that encourages our hearts. So what does the gospel do? It brings forth fruit in all the world. That's what the text just said to us. It's bringing forth fruit everywhere, not just in some places. See, here's the thing that Paul was trying to do. He was trying to let the Colossians know that they were part of a grand movement of God because the message they had believed and embraced was the seed of truth that was springing up with rich fruit all over the world. And can I tell you something? It's the same way today as it was in AD 60. Are you here? The same gospel that was being declared then is the same gospel that's being declared today. I like the way the message, um, uh, Eugene Peterson, he, he um, translated the Bible the, t- to the message version. And I don't necessarily like all the things in the message, but I do like this particular statement. He says, the message doesn't diminish. This is his translation of this verse. The message doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe in its ability to change people's lives? Or have you believed the lie that the enemy wants you to believe? They don't want to hear it. It's not going to do anything for them. Are you silent because you don't believe it? See, because Paul was trying to get the Colossians to understand, listen, this gospel that you're rooted in, this gospel that has you here, this gospel that brought faith to you, this gospel that not just brought faith to you but produced love for others in you, that gospel, that same gospel is not just producing fruit in you, it's producing fruit all over the world. Everywhere that it goes, it produces fruit. See, we have to understand that this word that we have been given, this message that we have been entrusted with, this is a message of power. This is a message that is still able to change lives. Hello, somebody. This is that same message, and we must believe the same things. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a solid faith faith. must become a shared faith. A solid faith must become a shared faith. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write the word shared down on your paper. And I'm going to ask you to put a little equal sign next to it. And I'm going to ask you to write disciple making. And so in other words, what I'm saying is that a solid faith must become a disciple making faith. A shared faith is a disciple-making faith. That is what you and I are called to look at verse 7. It says, as you have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So we learned last week what, and I repeated this earlier today, the book of Colossians is written to the people in Colossae, and the apostle Paul is writing to them, even though he did not establish this church. 
It was believed that Epaphras was one of the disciples that was made while Paul was in Ephesus for the three years that he was preaching there. They're only Ephesus and Colossae. They're only a few miles apart in distance. And so what is traditionally understood is that because of this verse, Epaphras was the one who went where? He went to Colossae and he began to preach the gospel and he was what? He was the founder of this church. That's an awesome thing. His faith was solid, and what happened? He shared that faith. He became a disciple maker, which is what we are called to do. Are all of us called to plant a church? Nope, we're not all called to plant churches. Are we all called to go overseas or anything like that to go? Nope, we're not all called to do that. But every one of us is called to make disciples. Every one of us is called to share our faith. And I want you to understand something. The reason why I said shared equals disciple making is because sharing your faith is not just telling someone about Jesus who has never heard it. It can be reminding someone about Jesus who knows him. It can be encouraging someone's faith. It can be building someone's faith. It's not a either or. It's a both and. It is telling people about Jesus who don't know him, but it is also building faith in Christ for all of those who do know him that you happen to have relationship with. And so when you look at this guy by the name of Epaphras, there's probably only one other group of people that I would say whose faith might have been more solid, and that would have been the actual apostles who walk with Jesus, right? Because they walk with Jesus, and so they were discipled directly by Christ. But Epaphras was discipled by the apostle Paul. And so what, is that? So what, what do I want you to see here? What I want you to see is that Epaphras, he gives us some examples of what it means to make a disciple. The first thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. He was a disciple first, and he remained one. Here's what I mean by that, is that Epaphras was the mission, and then he became part of the mission. He was the mission, and then he became part of the mission. That's what happens to us, is that we were the mission. At one point, I was the mission, right? I was the mission. I was the one that was lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So I was the mission. And the moment that I got saved, you know what happened? I became part of the mission. I'll testify, I'll tell you this real quick. The day I got saved was a Friday night. I was messed up on drugs. My mom led me to Jesus. After she led me to Jesus, the next morning, I didn't think there was anything smoking marijuana. There's something wrong with that. I just want to let you know that. But here's the thing. At that time, I didn't believe it was. I was like, well, it's natural. God created it, blah, 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 blah. And so that was my justification. I called up one of my buddies. I was like, hey, man, I need you to take me to Sanford so we can go buy a bag of weed. He was like, all right. He comes and picks me up. From the moment we left my house, we lived in Castleberry. We went all the way down 1792 to Sanford to like 3rd Street. Go there to 3rd Street. We drive all the way back. I preached to my friend all the way there and all the way back about what just happened last night. You know what happened when I got out of the car? You know what he said to me? His name was Jason. He looked at me. He said, Jason. I said, what's up? He's like, man, I need to go back to church. Why do I share that story? I'm not telling you to go and tell someone, hey, take me to buy a bag of weed so you can preach to them. It's not, not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that story because I was the mission on Friday night and Saturday morning on my way to go buy a bag of weed. I was part of the team mission. Hello, somebody. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. I didn't understand that. And God didn't need me to be perfect. I was a guy that was on his way to go buy a bag of weed, to go smoke some weed and all that kind of stuff. And the Holy Spirit was convicting the guy that I was driving next to because God is not looking for perfect vessels to make disciples. He is looking for willing vessels. I'll say it like this. You grow as you go. Are you here? 
We're, we're waiting for perfection. We're waiting to have everything all on lockdown. And here's the thing. We're going to grow in our faith as we go. Listen, I can tell you right now, I wish I could go back and do it all over again for one reason. So I wouldn't be doing what I did. But you know what? If I would have changed anything up, my friend wouldn't have been convicted because we probably would have never had the conversation. Are you here? So God uses the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. The question is, are we available? So the first thing that Epaphra does is he remained a disciple. How do we know this? Because he remained in fellowship. He's called a fellow servant, right? He's called a fellow servant. And what is he doing to Paul? At the end of this, look at verse 8. It says, who has declared to us your love in the spirit. So what was he doing? He was being accountable unto the ones who had discipled him. That's what being a disciple is. It's remaining accountability. It's being accountable unto those whom you are making disciples of. It's telling them of the progress. The second thing is he shared the gospel. How do we know that? It says also, look at verse 7, as you also learned, say learned. And Jesus was talking in the book of Matthew, I think it's chapter 11 or something like that. He says to them, all who are heavy laden, come unto me and find rest. And he says this, he says, and learn from me. When he says learn from me, it's the same word that is used right here. Learn from me. In other words, what did Epaphras do? He shared the gospel with them. And then the third thing is he taught them the truth. So he was patient with them as a disciple maker is. He was patient in teaching them the truth. And number four, he sought counsel or help from those more mature than himself to benefit those he was discipling. What was he doing here? Why was his letter written? It's because he was in over his head. He didn't know what else to do. He had preached. He had taught. He had given them the answers that he had. And he said, you know what, Paul? I need help, man. You help me grow my faith. This is what I've taught them. This is what's going on over there. What do we do about this? He went and sought outside counsel for them. And so, again, the first thing is what? He was a disciple, and he remained one. you got to be a disciple before you can make disciples. You were the mission. Now you got to be part of the mission. The second thing is he shared the gospel. He went to a place where the gospel had yet been preached, and he declared it under them. And so we need boldness from the Holy Spirit to share the gospel. The third thing is he taught them the truth. And the fourth thing is he sought counsel counsel or help. Here's the thing. As we make disciples, we should, I hope, come up in, in, into situations where we need outside help, where we need to go to more mature disciples. We need to go to people who have been in the faith a little bit longer. We need to have conversations with them and talk with them. And can I tell you something? I consider myself to be a mature Christian, right? I've been saved for over 20-something years. I've been preaching the Bible for 16 years here and for about four years before this. So that's a long time being in the scriptures. And let me tell you something. I was telling you all about a conversation I had with someone the other day. A lot of the stuff this person is communicating, I'm way over my head. But you know what I'm doing? I am studying because I'm praying for this person because you know what I do? Let me tell you what I do. Whenever I speak to someone that is in a condition that is not a Christian, this is only by the grace of God. When I see them, I don't see where they're at. I see the kind of person they're going to be for Christ. When I see someone that's stubborn, someone who's hard-headed, someone who's always got an answer, I'm like, man, I can't wait till Jesus gets a hold of that heart because that person's going to be stubborn, they're going to be hard-headed, and they're always going to have an answer for Jesus, and that's what we need. We need some people that are staunch about their faith, that are living their faith, that are bold in their proclamation. But you know what? That stuff doesn't happen if we are not committed to making disciples. If we're not committed to sharing our faith, so here's my closing question for you. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? That's the first question because I don't know. I would assume everybody, yes, but you know what? Maybe you haven't. If you have not trusted Jesus, today is the day for you to put your faith in him. Today is the day for you to call upon him. Today is the day to say, God, I need you. 
I need you to save me. I need you to deliver me from my sin. I need you to fill me with your spirit. So that's the first question. And the second question, for those of you that say yes to the first one, here's the second one. Are you sharing the gospel out of gratitude? Not out of guilt, out of thankfulness. Because you're so thankful you just can't shut up because you want to declare who Jesus is. And so if you say no to either one of those questions, today's the day to call upon him. And if you say yes to both of them, then amen. Let's continue on in the work of the gospel. Amen? So I'll stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today with humble hearts. And we pray in the mighty and glorious name of Jesus that your power, that your presence, that your revelation would fill our lives, that we would walk with you, that we would share your gospel, that we would be disciple makers as you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that thankfulness, that gratefulness would motivate our hearts for what you have done. I pray for anyone in this place that does not know you today. May they call upon you. May they be saved today from their sin. And may you fill them with, their Holy, with your Holy Spirit. And may they live for your glory and for your honor. And for us, Lord God, who has said yes to you, let us keep saying yes to you every day to the mission with which you have called us, God. Glorify yourself in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.